Peace and blessings, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Crystal Parker, and welcome to episode 16 of Real Shift Happens. This episode, we have a really special guest, and we're going to talk all about yoga and meditation in regards to race and religion. So stay tuned for these jewels. I go within, walking in the fertile soil of my own being. There, my ancestors' fossilized footprints lead the path to my destiny, embedded in my soul. I can feel the pain and the toil, the sorrow. I bear the weight on my shoulders, but also the joy, the laughter, the song. I hear my community deep within my spirit, quietly guiding my footsteps along the path. I go within. Thank you so much for joining me. I know last week I mentioned that we would go into what a kundalini awakening really means in this episode. And I definitely want to do that episode uh, a little later when I'm able to find an expert in kundalini um, shakti, maybe a kundalini yoga teacher and I'm definitely going to do that very soon stay tuned for that however I met an amazing soul who is doing amazing awesome work and who is kind enough to share some deep insight on how race and religion can coexist and really be integrated with meditation and yoga practices. And that's something a lot of people struggle with. So we're talking about that and so much more in this episode. So stay tuned. We're going to get right into that. But first, let's go ahead and get into our five minute focus shift right now. Returning to the source is serenity. Begin the meditation. Sit comfortably in your chair. Close your eyes and relax. One of the best ways to train your brain to focus on the positive is through practicing the state of appreciation. Bring your awareness to your breath. Taking deep breaths in and relaxing as you breathe out. Breathing in slowly and breathing out slowly. We are now going to learn a good way to celebrate the gifts in our life. Continue to breathe slowly in and breathe slowly out. Remember a time when you felt really grateful for a special moment in your life. It could be with family, a loved one, friends, or in nature.
let your heart feel that feeling like the warmth of the sun is shining on it. Feel that warm sun moving from your heart to all over your body. Through your arms and your legs into your fingers and toes. Enjoy this feeling of being surrounded as though your entire body is being wrapped in a warm, cozy blanket. Continue to breathe in and out gently as you feel grateful and happy. Try to embrace this feeling for as long as possible. Now slowly, gently open your eyes and welcome back. Just gently coming back, bringing your awareness back. If this is your first time, you probably, maybe, have felt something you've never felt before, and you can get more of that. And if this is not your first time, then you know that you can get more of that at any time, right? So... Um, today in this episode, well, in this episode, actually, we have a really, really special guest and I just want to go ahead and jump right into the interview and, um, yeah, so let's get right into it right now. So our very special guest for this episode is a psychotherapist, a youth speaker. She's a registered yoga teacher and the owner of Pramana Wellness, Selena Brown, we have with us today. And I'm so glad she's here with us because I scoured Instagram to find her and somehow we were just connected um, instantly we connected and, you know, that's like, to me, one of the, the upsides of having social media is like really being able to connect with people. So Selena, hello. How are Hi. you? I'm Hi. very excited I'm... to be chatting with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so grateful to have you and that you agreed. Um, and I love your work that you're doing. So, um, you know, like I was saying, social media connects people from all over. And right now you're in Mexico, right? I am. I'm in Mexico City as we speak. Awesome. So um, tell us a little about like your work, what you're doing in Mexico, your background. Um, what's going on? Sure. So I have uh, a kind of interesting trajectory in terms of 
and, and work. Mm-hmm. So I, I double majored in psychology and dance and was I felt too young to be a psychotherapist at the age of 21. So I decided I should grow up a little bit more first and decided instead to focus on an interest that sparked for me while I studied abroad as an undergrad uh, here in, in Mexico, actually. I spent a summer in Morelia, Michoacán, and became interested in the history of Africans and in Mexico. And so I applied to graduate programs in very wide, different fields, very um, kind of a hodgepodge. And I ended up getting into a performance studies program at Brown University years ago. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I went straight from undergrad to Brown University's department of what was then called the department of theater speech and dance and now it's theater arts and performance studies Mm -hmm. and um, did my research um, there I earned my first master's and in along the trajectory moved to Mexico City and lived here for about eight years where I began actually working as a school teacher and psychotherapist, eventually acquiring my other master's degrees and doing work in English and Spanish here in Mexico City. And part of that work was actually teaching dance among too many other things. And that took me back um, to the States. I'd gotten really bad social anxiety and did not like doing ethnographic research methods. So I left behind my original dissertation topic. I had been doing research in different small towns um, on the east and west coasts of the Mexican country Mm -hmm. and just felt really like voyeuristic. And also it felt kind of, I felt the ethical conundrum of me gaining a doctoral degree from an Ivy League school, perhaps setting myself up for this long trajectory in academia when I wouldn't be able to do anything for the people upon whom and upon whose history I would be making this life. And Mm. so that kind of did not sit well with me. And I let that project go, worked more on education and psychotherapy work. But uh, through my teaching of dance, I started having new questions that turned out to be rather academic questions as I was developing a dance department through the International Baccalaureate's dance programs at a high school Mm -hmm. I was working at. I realized the students that I was teaching, um, I could be teaching them anything in dance. And I wondered what did it mean to be a black woman teaching? um, I was teaching Horton technique, which was, is very much associated with black dance in the U S and started having questions about what does that mean as a black woman teaching this, sort of historically recognized form that is usually associated with black dance. And then I found out Lester Horton was actually a white man. And Mm. so had a lot of questions about that, that eventually led to me deciding to go back to Brown and work on a new dissertation topic. And so now I'm actually finishing up my doctorate, writing about Lester Horton now. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I came back to the States, or rather when I went back, since I'm outside the country now, when I went back to the States, uh, a friend of mine whom I had met at Brown, who'd been working for an organization that does summer programs, had reached out to me while I was in Mexico City to recruit my students here um, to go to those summer programs. And when I got back to the States myself, she asked if I wanted to do that recruitment work so Mm. that I could use my experience working in international schools here in Mexico to help recruit students and do outreach to bring students to come to the programs um, for the National Student Leadership Conference. And so since 2016, I've been working part-time as an international enrollment counselor in Latin America. And in the summers, I actually run the leadership component at the university sites where I happen to be sent. So I get to do all of my favorite parts of being a teacher and some of my favorite aspects of being a psychotherapist working with youth each summer. And my role primarily is to help them learn to identify their own sense of self, their own Mm. value system, so that as they are crafting a vision for themselves in the future, they can create a path that's authentic to who they really are. So that's the work that I'm doing now for this organization. And in between my travels, I love to teach yoga and meditation back home in New York, where I am based, and Mm. hopefully increasingly while I'm on the road throughout Latin America. Oh, that's awesome. 
That is incredible. What a journey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, wow. So how do you kind of like, do you think that like, since now that you're a yoga teacher and, you know, you practice meditation, do you kind of incorporate that? Or how does that work with the dance? You know, that's really interesting because the dance part lately has moved away from being a practice in my body to living in the world of theory. I One of my favorite reasons for why I chose to go to New York when I knew I was going back to the States was that I could take classes at the Ailey School, mm-hmm. which is the home of the Horton Technique, mm-hmm. um, one of the major centers in the world for the Lester Horton Technique. And I used to take classes at Horton, um, at Ailey, um, and I actually hurt myself uh, about mm-hmm. a month and a half before my first yoga teacher training. I fell doing mm. a lateral fall, and I really hurt my shoulder girdle. And since then, I had to approach dance a little bit differently. And so it was actually very therapeutic for me to have my yoga teacher training while nursing my shoulder and Mm -hmm. of course all of the ego things that go along with Mm -hmm. having to to take the asana down back to its basics and it also of course made it a lot more clear for me as a teacher how the articulations of the movements work together and Mm -hmm. for me the dance is always a part of my body and it actually shows up in my vinyasa practice when I'm taking a class or giving myself a class I feel as though I feel the choreography of the vinyasa and I find the dance in on the mat. And when I'm in a dance class, my favorite thing actually is to take technique and feel the sort of the rhythm of the breath in a way that's very yogic. So for me, Mm. yoga and dance remain together and it's probably because they started together. I actually came came to dance my freshman year of college about Mm. one trimester before I took my first yoga class. So my entire relationship to these physical practices have been as an adult and really in relation to one another. Hmm. That's awesome. I love that because um, the mood, I mean, like I, I'm ne- I was never a dancer and, um, but you know, I've been practicing yoga for about 10 plus years maybe. And um, I mean, I'm not doing like any like super crazy, like, Scorpios or whatever, you know, but, um, I just feel like my, um, foundation is really good, you know? And, Mm -hmm. but, um, I don't know. I just, uh, people would ask me, you know, am I a dancer? And I'm not at all, not by any means, (laughs) but I definitely see like how that can be, you know, like if it's just the movement is the movement and yoga can be really graceful, like dance, Mm-hmm. If um, you're in that flow, you know, yeah, so I love I that. I love that. But I, yeah, I, I mean, I have rhythm, but I'm not a dancer. <laughs> I love to watch dancers. <laughs> yeah. Um. So back to the Lester Horton technique, though, mm-hmm. actually just brought up a question. Um. So being that you found out, you know, that he's a white man or whatever, and you, you know, you are going back to making that your dissertation, like, how does that fit in, though, you know, with how, you know, just everything, how you're approaching your dissertation now, how, you know, you even look at this, this form of dance that's a great question, and you should always be careful when you ask doctoral students to speak about their theses. <laughs> but um, when I first understood Lester Horton to be a white man, my first question was, how did this technique created by this white man mm-hmm. become associated with Les- with Alvin Ailey and really the epitome of, of Black dance in America? And so that was my original question. And mm-hmm. the the second thing was, that I had been taught that the Alvin Ailey company was the first racially integrated company. But of course, in learning that Alvin Ailey's teacher was a white man, I realized, well, then Lester Horton's company must have been the first racially integrated company. Mm, right. And so I wondered more about that and started to look into Lester Horton's body of work and how much of what he'd created remained with Alvin Ailey in addition to the technique. and 
as I dug deeper, I began to learn about the ways that Lester Horton was very interested in other cultures and borrowing from other people's stories and mm -hmm. movement vocabularies. And when I began doing my dissertation work, I think that I thought I was going to start to tell a very simple story of a white man who was doing a cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was definitely that. Honestly, at the very beginning, he made a name for himself by asserting himself as an, as an expert in indigenous dance and even fabricated indigenous ancestry so that people mm -hmm. would give him some sort of validation. And then once he made a name for wow. himself, he allowed that false grandmother that he invented to sort of fall away when he didn't need that anymore. Mm. And, but that wasn't really all that he was. So as I learned about the way that he was handling indigenous dance, I began to find a lot of connections to way, to the ways that he talked about and wrote about and seemed to be thinking through indigenous history and how that was connecting to the ways he thought about Mexican history and Mexican dance forms. And then mm. that led him to seem to, to think a lot about the ways that Mexican peoples and their descendants in what was then California mm. um, and now California, he was rooted in Los Angeles as a dancer, even though he was originally from Indiana, but he was looking at things like police brutality against Mexican Americans and then around the same time he was creating pieces that were looking and investigating those things, he was also looking at the ways that African-American history and the way that enslavement and the KKK were creating all of these violence for Black Americans. And so mm -hmm. it's not just a story of a white man who's taking things from other cultures to make himself famous. I think that is how he may have begun but he seemed to be very much interested in the ways that minorities and people of color in particular created the American fabric. And it mm. seems from my research that he was partnered with an Asian American man who ended up kind of being in charge of the um, archives after his passing. And mm -hmm. there, there were a lot of in um, relationships that he had with people of color that some theorists have talked about their own experiences in ways that make me think perhaps um, Lester Horton was so interested in the, the stories of minorities because he was living in a time where being a queer man was not as safe. And there mm -hmm. may have been some alliances there in his mind that he worked through, through dance and uh, study and it's more nuanced than that so it's not mm -hmm. just that I'm telling the story of a white man who was pure in his, his his intentions either it's kind of nuanced so the dissertation that I'm writing is actually looking chapter by chapter at the ways he handled different cultural experiences and the way that it came together to create his whole body of work oh that's awesome that's incredible because that's definitely a probably a you know lesser known story about um who's behind Alvin Ailey you know it's just we we know um him but definitely I did not know about Lester Horton whatsoever and it's very yes, interesting so soon I think there will be a major film I think that um Alicia Keys is behind it and some really other amazing people in Hollywood are behind a film that they're creating about Alvin Ailey mm -hmm. and so maybe people will be interested in learning more about Lester Horton yeah, uh, as well. And, and and by then, I definitely hope that the, this dissertation is already on somebody's bookshelf. <laughs> and right. In whatever library it happens to be in. But of course. By the time yes. that film comes out. Oh, that would be numbers. awesome. Yes, that <laughs> needs to be. And uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, So interesting. So that kind of like, brings me to another kind of question I had um, about like um, just, you know, being a woman of color and practicing um, yoga and meditation and how, you know, that that whole practice has kind of been appropriated and and, you know, how do you do you kind of fit into to that world? Because we kind of had a conversation about it and how, um you know, just before we, we started recording and how, you know, just being mixed, there's a 
certain thing happening, you know, and then um, just, you know, being black, you, there's not there. I, I would say the numbers are growing now for black people that are practicing yoga and meditation and getting into these things. But there's the numbers are still kind of small um, and the communities seem to be small, but growing. Mm-hmm. So how do you, you know, approach that whole thing and how, you know, how do you look at that? Do you want to see more people of color kind of getting into these practices and, you know, how do you, what do you think about that? I think that representation is always powerful and empowering. Um, For me, I think that it has been um, thinking about being a person of color who is in the wellness field specifically through Mm -hmm. the lens of yoga has impacted me in two very different ways. So we started out by talking about how Instagram and social media can bring people together. Mm-hmm. And I, when I started developing Pramana Wellness, uh, my specific Instagram outlet for Pramana Wellness, my mentor, actually, I was trained in sonic yoga in New York City. Mm-hmm. And my mentor there was very much against Instagram. Um, mm. He, in, yeah. he was, is very in, um, focused on the spiritual aspect and it's part of the reason why I chose him and having him kind of always like a little uh, angel devil conscience on my shoulder mm-hmm. was a really helpful reminder to use what I already knew as a psychotherapist and a student of psychology to remember that images and words are powerful and so right. everything that I post on on my Instagram, I try very hard to remember that images can do things and words can do things. And so when I am at my best, I try to think about what will this image say or do for someone who happens to come across this page and are interested in yoga? What does this image say about yoga? What do these words say about yoga? Does this make yoga seem more inviting or does it make it seem too exclusive? Mm. Does this image, is this, if a young girl is not feeling well that, that, that week and is not feeling good about her physical body, will looking at my images do something to create harm? Mm. Could they be helpful? And when I started out my page, I had the intention actually of maybe not even showing my face, um, thinking about not Mm -hmm. showing my entire body, but maybe like my hands in a mudra or sitting in some sort of meditative pose from the side or from the back. And it didn't end up staying that way. And so Mm -hmm. instead I thought, well, as I play with asana, is there a way for me to show a little bit of that while also making it clear that this is not an end goal, that obviously I am not like the greatest expert of asana, but I wasn't always clear that that was actually making its its case. And so mm. I've actually taken a bit of a pause. When I completed my last um, like Instagram series, which was exploring the chakras, I kind of needed to take a break because I'd realized mm. I had gotten a bit lost in the glossy images like I was I had paid a an amazing photographer to Mm. help me take these pictures I'd worked with her for a couple of series and the photos were fabulous I was very happy with the way that my Instagram was looking yeah it looks great I was very much (laughs) but I was like what is that what exactly is this purpose and so when I started my Instagram because of the way that I travel I thought I would love to host retreats Mm -hmm. and in order to inspire people to want to come to my retreats they need to know who I am and so in order for people to know who I am I suppose I should have a presence online so that people from all over could find me and after over a year of working on my Instagram I still don't have not just enough people who are interested in going to retreats but people who even come to my classes in New York and so I started to realize that maybe I needed to reevaluate what I could do with Instagram. And if it wasn't to serve the purpose of simply filling up my own classes, Mm. then maybe there was a higher purpose. And so I've begun shifting the way that I'm using Instagram. And I began to give myself permission 
to speak to the people that I wanted to serve, which happens to be people of color. And so mm. I allowed myself to just talk directly to my audience and watched how the followers that I had began to shift. And the people who were beginning to be attracted to my page were the people that I wanted to follow too, which mm. made me realize that I was able to start to help bridge communities and build communities and help foster community within specifically this idea of black people and people of color in yoga and meditation. And so mm -hmm. I have been shifting my Instagram in that way. This month I was inspired to do like a series this February on my story where each day I'm highlighting a different um, black yoga teacher with a hashtag oh, awesome. support black yoga teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and they're people that I have taken a class with and had conversations with and enjoy mm -hmm. what they teach and talk a little bit about what they're bringing to the table and mm -hmm. hopefully connecting people there. I've had people who make my day by reaching out to me um, with direct messages and saying that they really wanted to take my last workshop, but they weren't able to. And then I let them know, you know, I'm out of town for two months, but there's some really amazing work happening with this teacher, or there's this great community mm -hmm. happening over here. And so I've been really interested in starting to think about how can I create these sort of community or rather a space where these communities can come together. And so for me, what's really exciting about watching more and more, particularly Black women coming to mm -hmm. yoga, um, and how we can support each other to do the inner work. Um, mm -hmm. Being careful that we don't get caught up necessarily in the images. And one of the very, very real reasons why I think that my mentor was very much against the way Instagram is used is because trying to make one's body fit into an, a shape that you saw on a picture can be right. dangerous, right? Yeah. Like, just yeah. like, I'm just going to just jump in and try that. Mm -hmm. And it's fine, but there are different reasons why people approach yoga. I have found that for me, the most um, exciting things have happened when I practice with my eyes closed. I definitely mm -hmm. don't practice in spaces with mirrors. Um, I did go through a nice fun phase where I was taking Bikram classes, which are always in front of mirrors, Right. Um, yep. which definitely and brought this parallel for dance and things like that. Mm. But I prefer to not have them. I even had a modern dance teacher who didn't have us use mirrors. And I find that finding the path from inside mm -hmm. is most helpful for me. That's actually why I chose the name Pramana for mm. my, my wellness field, because it's the thing that connects the yoga, the meditation and the psychotherapy, as well as the guidance that I attempt to, to bring for youth, which is that Pramana is a word that I found in the yoga sutras, mm -hmm. and it has to do with the source of knowledge. And so for me, it's been when I was able to turn inward and begin to trust that there is knowledge to be gained from within, that has brought me the greatest sense of freedom, that has brought mm -hmm. me the greatest respect for myself. Um, it literally led to self-love and self-esteem. And so that is actually what Pramana means and mm -hmm. why I've chosen Pramana Wellness to be the umbrella term for these different aspects of wellness and guidance that I hope that my career path will be able to provide for others. Oh, that's awesome. I love that name. Thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love um, your whole branding too. And the fact that you mentioned like, you know, you kind of are um, seeking out the people that you want to help and those people are seeking you out and it's just naturally kind of happening that way, I think mm -hmm. is important. So it's not like you have to really be out there like, hey, black people come here, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever, yeah. people of color. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> It's just a natural thing. And, um, you know, I think it's important. Like, we just have to continue to, like, build these communities. And um, that, to me, like I said, is the positive side of social media. Like, and I, I definitely get why your mentor says, you know, or, you know, a lot of traditional yogis don't like social media and all of the flash and flair and all of that. Mm -hmm. But, um, and also it's kind of sexualized, too, right? Uh, yeah. Now, <laughs> don't get me wrong. We have the second chakra. It is about right. sensuality and sexuality yeah, and yeah. creativity and all of those things. But I think that it's also a spiritual practice. And honestly, mm -hmm. that leads me to the other thing that I did want to speak about. And I think that I would be remiss to talk about 
cultural appropriation from the sense of, mm. of someone like Lester Horton without talking about this cultural appropriation of the yoga itself. Right, right. That is yes. completely external to its original context for us sitting where we are in these spaces and mm -hmm. speaking the languages that we're speaking and practicing in the ways that we're practicing. And that's the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about. Mm -hmm, I think that mm -hmm. in some ways I have been lucky that I have not been able to make money off of teaching yoga because mm -hmm. for me, that's the crux at, of what it means to appropriate the culture. Um, you can appropriate a culture without necessarily getting rich off of it. But for me, in terms of what would it mean, where would I draw the line for myself? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that there are a few areas that I have thought a lot about in terms of ethics and the way that I would like to work. And I feel like I am moving more towards using yoga as continuing to use yoga as ways to help heal individuals and communities, but not thinking of it ever as the way that I'm going to pay my bills or the way that I'm mm. going to support myself. And that is not to say that no one should do that. Mm -hmm. But for me, when I, I, I'm a student of Buddhism and I have really been drawn to this concept of right livelihood. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, right livelihood has meant a lot of things, part of which has been trying to create a congruent way of drawing together the different aspects of my career um, I am actually slowly moving away from doing the outreach and recruitment part of the work that I do so that I can start to teach um, mindfulness and meditation in circles of people of color with mm -hmm. the rest of my, my like uh, time throughout the year. And so really trying to draw everything together and thinking about what right livelihood means to me is being respectful of where things come from and how I'm using them. Mm -hmm. And giving, um, holding space for space uh, needs to be acknowledged. Um, some of my, one of my new people that I actually connected with uh, through Instagram is an incredible uh, yogi that I met out in Seattle. Uh, mm -hmm. Her name is Jasmine Roche, and she begins her soulful flow yoga classes first by calling into this space the indigenous people upon whose land we happen to be inhabiting. And I think that oh, constantly using time, space, and the practices themselves as a palimpsest and talking about all of the layers and the people who came before is really important. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, there is still this question of comedic yoga. And mm -hmm. I was also training to do Afro-flow yoga and thinking about the African roots of perhaps even the very hatha asana mm -hmm. postures that we're used to seeing and I am interested in learning more about that kind of work and where maybe this is also our own cultural inheritance and so taking the time to think through that will will be a while especially since I'm yeah. already doing doc, like research in other areas right but I think that it's important to take the time to do the work and that's where I'm where I am right now and thinking about what does it mean to be a person of color doing this work, I think that it has to do with the ethics and thinking about and thinking, taking the time to think about how our physical bodies and the way that we're approaching our Instagram pages and the way we mm -hmm. show up in a class and the way we teach a class and the way that we speak about the practice is either helping, uh, nourishing, nurturing, or hindering. Is it contributing to some sort of superficial version of yoga? And if it is, being honest about that and, and mm -hmm. being clear that that's what we're doing. And if we're attempting to do something different, putting in the time and the effort. And I'm really, I think that having been trained as an academic maybe is part of why that really, really matters to me. But mm -hmm, I think that mm -hmm. my teaching practice starts on my own mat and doing the work for myself in order right. to have something truthful and well-considered to bring into a space. And that's why no matter what kind of a workshop I'm teaching or class that I'm teaching, I try to make sure that I'm bringing what I have learned from my own practices and from my own readings into the space so that it isn't um, flippant, that I'm not just mm -hmm. there to take however many dollars to get people to roll out their mats, but really hopefully offering them tools that they can go off and do the work without me. That's the way that I approached my work as a psychotherapist. It's the mm -hmm. way that I approach my work as an educator is that um, I do not want to foster 
dependence upon myself or encourage others to be dependent upon anyone else, but to begin to learn to trust themselves, to learn how they can trust themselves to find the answers that they need and gather the tools that are required to do so. Mm, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, I definitely, definitely dig that. And, um, you know, the whole appropriation of yoga thing here in America, like the Western version or what, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like, I guess there's going to be a level of us like watering things down. Um, mm-hmm. But um, there's still like a lot of benefit from what, you know, the, the mm-hmm. practices that we do. And I think the way that you approach it is really smart and really um, thoughtful to, you know, make sure that you are doing your research and, you know, for your students. And that's really what it takes. Um, I've, I've actually have a couple books on kinetic yoga. And that's something mm-hmm. too that I've been interested in, because um, it's, it's like one of those things now has yoga been appropriated you know, has India been appropriating yoga? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's, that's a question. But, um, and, you know, I know that that's like a whole another line of research. And I actually have a comedic yoga teacher that I'm going to be talking to um, in it, I think like next week. And it's so funny I that look you mentioned, to an episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's good. Cause it's oh my gosh. We have a lot of parallels because you just mentioned that you want to highlight a black yoga teacher. And honestly, I was I'm was thinking the exact same thing. And when um I just, you know, our, me and you kind of hooked up like really fast and just got on the call and just started talking, you know, talking. So um, but you know, before we actually met or whatever, just literally last week, I'm thinking the same exact thing. So um, I have two more yoga teachers that I'm going to be talking to. Like I said, one is comedic and then one she does Hatha as well. So I just am trying to figure out kind of like how to fit that into my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I think that that's a great idea. And I think that you even saying it is probably confirmation for me to fit that in. Yeah, yes. for sure. I think it's important. <laughs> and I think it's really interesting mm-hmm. that you'll get to take these questions to each of them, right? To think yeah. about what what does it mean mm-hmm. to them to practice and teach a form that is, in some ways, at least for those of us who understand or value the his, the Egyptian lineage, mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. least bicultural, like at right, least right, right. From, from India and Egypt, at least. Um, and what does that mean for us in our own practice and how are we showing up? I think that it's important to, my personal instinct was to neither um, negate, to negate neither half and not even to necessarily think of it as half. I don't know the extent to which these things are are connected. Obviously the Mm -hmm. lineage that we are currently teaching is primarily routed through these ancient forms through India, Mm -hmm, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that we don't also still have these beautiful images that we see in the hieroglyphics right. of people doing things that look like Hatha postures. Yeah, so it yeah, is, that part. There's a lot to consider. And even what, you know, I thought about even like what, um, if it was even before ancient Egypt, even, mm-hmm. you know, like just like, what if these are just movements that were just so ancient that, you know, helped just people who, you know, just that we can't even, the first beginnings of people even, you know, like we just don't know right now, but I love the fact that um, so many people are finding this practice and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I found it, um, which maybe like 10, 10 years ago or so. Um, So yeah, it's it. When I first started yoga and meditation, I wanted to tell everyone, and I literally brought so many people to the yoga class that I was attending, and literally no one came back with me. (laughs) It was just like one of those things. Like I think that people look at it and they kind of think it's kind of easy or it's stretching, and you know, I I mean, I'm not gonna say like it's you know rocket science. I mean, like it's. It's not, uh, you don't have to be a supreme athlete or whatever to do it, but it's definitely mm-hmm. has, there's a challenge to it, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I don't think a lot of people know sometimes before they, when they just see people doing these pretty poses, they think, oh, that's pretty, 
You know what I mean? And uh, there's work, there's work that goes into it. And often that work is not the physical. I think that for me right away, it was no question about it. It was the ego from day one. Mm, Day one, that was my practice. Mm, mm, Yes. Ooh, that's so profound. Yes. That's so true. It's so true. And I think too, like, cause I've had people um, who, like I had a friend who I, you know, she, she was so excited that she was going to start a yoga class and she went to her first class and uh, she was actually Christian. Um, and then she came back to me like, you know, whenever the next day or whatever. And it's just like, girl, I can't do this because it's not Christian. And um, in my mind, I was thinking like, girl, <laughs> first of all, I was like, I don't know. The, my first instinct was like, I don't even really think that that was her problem, even though some people do have that problem. Mm-hmm. You know, they have there's that barrier for them. Her, mm-hmm. I think it was hard for her. Like it really was like physically challenging. And the fact that you do like whether you know it or not, you're facing your ego on that mat. So um, what what do you think about that really quick? Like, I mean, that's yeah. a two parter, though. That's like an ego facing and also kind of that that religion thing that that kind of goes along with it well the ego part I think is different for each person and I honestly think that there are definitely people who can show up to a yoga class and never have to worry about their ego because Mm. it doesn't bother them like it's not an issue Um, the resistance is not there yeah yeah they're fine with what they can do and don't Mm -hmm. really care if they can't do other things and right beautiful and but they're learning other things that maybe it maybe it still hasn't even come to me on my on my journey the things that become obvious to them right and but as for the religious part I do think that it's incredibly valid my partner who trained to be a yoga teacher uh like a year and a a little over a year ago she grew up um very much in the Christian church and Mm -hmm. was concerned about whether or not yoga was something she would be able to do and thinking again about the cultural appropriation aspect. Mm -hmm. I am very careful about bringing the overt references to deities into this space, Mm -hmm. not just because I don't want to offend Christian people or or anyone who's non-Hindu in my class. I don't want to offend the Hindu people either. One Mm. of my colleagues or one of my peers who was in my advanced teacher training was livid, livid when we had like... um, our session on Hindu deities because Mm. someone who was not raised Hindu was talking about these ancient practices and beliefs as though they were very casual. And this student Mm. actually had grown up Hindu, was not even considered an expert of her own religion in the Mm. space. And it was such a blatant example of someone taking ownership of something that did not belong to them Mm -hmm. and completely lacking the humility to acknowledge the fact that there are other people in the space, first of all, honestly, at any given time, no matter what you're talking about, who probably know more than you. And I think that always coming into a space with that kind of humility could be really helpful in general. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to religion, when I'm teaching my classes, I that is not my area of expertise, not just in Hindu beliefs, but in any, even as a student of Buddhism, I don't even claim that I can go in there and be a Dharma teacher Mm -hmm. in those kind of ways. And so what I can do, what I do know is what I show and what I focus on. And so the music that I choose for my classes, I love to make sure that my playlist, it's actually, this is where the dance part comes in as well. I choreograph Mm -hmm. my, my entire vinyasas based um, in, in conjunction with the music so that I know when the time the song hits this that I know where I should be in my vinyasa flow it almost never lines up ideally but when I'm practicing the choreography of my class that is definitely a part of it and I'm very 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 careful about what I bring into the space sonically what lyrics mm. I bring into the space there may be things that I do on my own mat in my own practice that reference different deities but I'm not going to bring that into my yoga classes or my workshops um, just out of respect and reverence for the religions that are being called into the space as well as the people who bring their own spirituality to the space and I think Mm -hmm. that yoga is definitely the kind of practice that can hold 
space and foster anyone's spiritual practice. It can deepen anyone's spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. I find for myself, when I come out of meditation, that is the perfect moment for me to get on my knees and pray. And it doesn't mm -hmm. matter whose religion you you happen to be practicing in mm -hmm. that sense, right? If you're praying to your own source, to your in your own form. And I think that, well, one way that my teachers have taught me is that the asana, the yoga postures are really to prepare like to get the body like worked out so that you can sit still and meditate. And mm -hmm. for me, I have found that the sitting in the meditation is what prepares me to pray. And so that is the, the order of operations for me when I'm doing my own practice. So I do think, right. and for me, honestly, yoga has been the way that I have deepened my own spiritual practice. And it hasn't been because of anyone's specific doctrines. Mm -hmm. It's been the ways that it has made me think about how I feel connected to the divine and what does that mean to me? And so it has been where I have found my strongest sense of faith. So I respect when someone comes into a, a yoga studio, hears the names of other gods being used, sometimes in context, sometimes very much out of context and feels like, oh, this clearly isn't a space where I should be because this mm. is not my deity. Of course mm -hmm. they would feel that way. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's, it does justice to what yoga is able to do as mm -hmm. a healing and uh, didactic and wellness practice if someone is choosing to teach their classes in that way, unless they are prefacing and making sure they're clarifying at the beginning, this is a class that will be taught in this particular tradition. Mm -hmm. If you are uh, practicing a religion that does not fit in this, then let me introduce you to some teachers who might be better suited for you because it is unfortunate if that is the first thing someone sees and is like, Oh, that's yoga. Clearly it's not for me because yeah. I, I do not think that that is true at all. Yeah. I think that it's, you can miss out on a lot by just, you know, kind of blanketly like saying, okay, this is yoga is not part of Christianity, so we can't do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I, a lot of that's out there though. A lot of that's mm -hmm. out there, but you know, it's you know the this when the student's ready for whatever the teaching is, you know, the saying whatever the saying, mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> you know <exactly>. that thing. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, so um, that's great though. No, I I definitely agree too. And um, for me, I did grow up Christian, um, but I as I got you know to be an adult and was able to decide for myself, kind of like which route I wanted to go and, and, you know, things like that. I, mm -hmm. um, be, began to study more like Eastern philosophies. And, um, so I don't really consider myself like following any one organized religion. And so, mm -hmm. so I, I, I feel like I see the foundation between all of the major religions as being like love and, you know, all of the things we're supposed to be in. Um, so I don't like to get caught up in the whole, you know, um, all the, and fighting and you know mm -hmm. things that come with religion but to each his own for sure yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's important to respect that people find different reasons and depth to their spirituality and I sure. think we have to cultivate spaces where first of all in real life and just in the world we can all coexist so exactly. why not use the oh. yoga space as a microcosm thereof Yes. I, I, I wish, though, that everyone in the world practiced yoga and meditation. I really do. I don't care what religion you are or if you're atheist. I don't care. Just it really helps. I mean, it would help people, you know, it helps you personally, but I feel like it just helps the collective, too. You know, it's that that type of energy. Um but um, yeah, so it's been really, really great like talking to you. Um, I just have one more thing and then I'll let sure. you go because I don't want to hold you all night because honestly, like I can talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so just for like everyone who's listening, who maybe kind of like on the fence about starting yoga, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it is something with religion or something like physically they can't. Um, they think they can't do like what's what's like just some really sound advice to like tell people about the practice of you know yoga and meditation I would say it all starts with the breath and Sharon mm -hmm. Salzberg who's one of my favorite um, meditation teachers uh, has said like if you're breathing you can meditate mm, yes <laughs> um, and 
I think that to start where you are and mm-hmm. be patient with yourself to listen to what your intuition is telling you. If you walk into a space and say, this is not the right space for me, find a space mm-hmm. that does feel like the right space for you. Find resources that will connect you to the people who will feel welcoming to you. Co-create spaces that will be welcoming to others if that is where your activism takes you. But if you're just starting, and first of all, if you're just starting and you're still doubting, but you made it this far through the conversation, kudos Mm -hmm. to you. Yes. Um, There are plenty of resources, some amazing meditation apps and tools. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about the Liberate uh, app, which has just been launched. a, young, uh, a man named Julio has created this incredible app, which is, I think, the very first uh, app for teaching meditation and uh, Dharma talks specifically for people of color. Oh, um, awesome. You can download that app for free. There are some really cool ways that he's trying to grow it. So if you end up loving it, they can definitely use support because it has just been launched uh, within the last several months. Oh, um, that's and that's the Liberate app? liberate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay definitely. Um, it's a liberate um, and it's a meditation app so that's one place to start especially if you are actually interested in hearing what wisdom traditions have to say um, that might be helpful directly to the experience of people of color that's a really great one if you're looking for something that's just a simple basic i want to strip all the politics as much as that's physically possible and all of the religion religion as much as that's physically possible out of it um i used to literally assign to my high school students to do headspace which Mm. back then didn't even have like a a paid monthly version i think you can Mm -hmm. still do the basic um some of the basics for free. Um, I really love, Andy Puttacum is the teacher behind it. He has some very good books, but also some, you can just look him up on TED Talks. He has a really fantastic, gigantic swath of different meditation techniques to try. Mm -hmm. And the very basic one is, is really was all I needed to get me to get started with my own practice. But I would say if you wanna start somewhere, download a free app, if you mm-hmm. don't like the way that one of them sounds or you don't like this, the tone of someone's voice, download a different one. Ask a friend. Use the resources online. I know that I'm someone on Instagram who if you send me a message via DM asking specifically for resources and tools, it makes my day to share them. So reach mm-hmm. out to people who are willing to share those kinds yeah. of things and and try things out until they feel right to you. If you feel called to it, you should probably be doing it. Mm-hmm. And so if you attempt it and it doesn't feel right, wait till it does. My very first yoga class was terrible. I hated it. Mm-hmm. It was actually, it was ridiculous. It was like at the school gym, people were in there grunting and doing who knows what kind of acrobatics. I was slipping all over the mat, just trying to do my very first downward facing dong. It was terrible, but something told me there was more to the practice. And I Mm -hmm. knew I just needed to find the right teachers. And so trust your intuition. If something is telling you meditation may be helpful for me, or I think I would like to try yoga, ask yourself why, and then follow that lead. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's the advice that I would give. And whether it's the asana actual poses in the yoga class or doing meditation, it all starts with the breath and you're already mm-hmm. breathing. So you already have the tools you need. Yes. Yes. Lovely. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, so what about you? How can we reach you? Um, you know, what's your website? What's your Insta? Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find me at Pramana Wellness, and that's P R A M A N A. Pramana Wellness via Facebook, via Instagram. PramanaWellness.com is my website, um, and you can even reach out to me just at PramanaWellness at gmail.com. I'm happy to help along the way. If awesome. uh, 
because of the way that my travel schedule works, I don't have a set class these days. Um, I do try to let people know where I'm going and where I'm headed in case you happen to be in any of the cities I'm headed. Right now I'm in Mexico City. I'll be in Mexico for another week. Then I'll be in Puerto Rico for a couple of weeks. And then I'll nice. be in five cities of Colombia. So if you happen to know anyone who are in some major places, reach out to me and I'm happy to meet up and talk. But most importantly, um, of course, I love to give yoga and meditation sessions individually in small groups. Um, when I'm back home and I do my actual like in New York residences, mm. the way that I love to approach private yoga sessions is kind of the way that I would approach brief therapy as a psychotherapist, which is to do it like a diagnostic session, sit with a client and just say, well, what are your goals? My favorite way to, to assist people is to help them develop a home practice. Mm. So to get people started, like what are the things you want to learn? Let's look, let's practice, let's flow together and then take the next five sessions to get used, get the tool tools you need in your toolkit so you can go back to your own practice and then I'll go travel and then we'll come back and touch bases if need be so I'm pretty flexible no yoga pun intended to see (laughs) when and how I can best serve Um, Mm -hmm. some people have like just wanted to get some of their friends together and have like a wellness day at their house and have reached out to me and I was thrilled to come through and do meditation and yoga sessions so yeah pretty open and I love to, to talk about yoga and help people find their own paths so those are all the ways that I can be reached. Awesome. And I'm definitely going to link you um, it, when I send out the podcast to all the platforms. The link will be there and also on my website. So if anyone needs a direct link, definitely um, check the website, check the description of the podcast, and you will have all the information. So thank you so, so much, Selena. And so, oh my gosh, I have a feeling that we could probably like talk for hours. Like we could probably do one of those like five hour Joe Rogan podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And we can continue it in person the next time I'm in SoCal with you. <laughs> definitely. We have to link up. We have to. And if I'm on the East Coast, I will definitely let you know. Or if I'm ever like in Mexico, which I don't know when that would be, but <laughs> Coast, our paths maybe. will keep flowing. Keep flowing through. <laughs> definitely. Thank you so much to Selena Brown for um, sharing that time with me and diving deep into some real important topics you know there's a lot of people out there that um, are hesitant to start a meditation practice and you know I think that Selena made some valid points about um, any barriers or or anything that might be blocking you from starting so on that note I think we'll wrap it up here and definitely check uh check out for selena brown on my website i will have all her information and until next time what do we do we have to do that inner work and even selena brought that up and then we can create a shift in our own consciousness which will create a shift in the collective consciousness you know that's the goal so don't forget also you can support the podcast at anchor.fm slash real shift happens and please subscribe to real shift happens wellness podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms and you can also drop us a message on the oh on anchor.fm slash real shift happens that you can download the app too for that if you want we definitely love to hear from you your thoughts on Um, what we talked about today on uh, if you are someone from a certain religion and you've been kind of hesitant to start a yoga and meditation practice uh, anything like that or anything else what do you want to talk about what do you want to hear for an upcoming episode let us know also we have a book club yes the real shift book club so Uh, If you're a reader or if you just like to listen to books, our February selection is Infinite Self, 33 Steps to Reclaiming Your Inner Power by Stuart Wilde. 
And we're going to talk about that book at the end of this month, uh, the last week in February. So definitely pick up your copy on Amazon or if you like to listen to audiobooks, you can download that audiobook for free and also receive 30 days for free through our sponsor, Audible. Just go to audible.com slash realshifthappens. And also you can sign up for our book club where you'll receive um, some insights to the book club. So go to realshifthappens.live slash book dash club to see the info there, sign up. And yeah, that's it. Until next week, Real Shifters, go within and make Real Shift happen. Peace.